0: with us on campus, and those of you that are joining us via live stream, we're glad that you could join us for midweek Bible study tonight, and we trust that you will be blessed, challenged, inspired, convicted, one of those, or maybe all of them, by the time we are done here tonight. Just want to give you a couple of announcements. First of all, we want to remind you uh, that Saturday, December 5th, is a local election day. And also, we want to remind you that on Sunday, December 13th, will be our Grace Christmas service here at 11 o'clock, and we encourage you to be here, and if you can, bring somebody with you. It's going to be a great time. Before pastor comes this evening, I do want to take just a moment to prime your brains and spirits with just a little thought from Matthew chapter 25, and it's a story that Jesus told about investments in all of my years of going to church and being taught and teaching and preaching and being preached to i've heard a lot of definitions and explanations of what faithfulness is i've heard that faithfulness means being loyal being committed being consistent being reliable and being steadfast and Those are accurate. Those are good definitions. Nothing wrong with any of those. But there's a word Jesus associates with faithfulness that I rarely hear. And that word is multiplication. Before you tune me out, I want you to recall the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. Jesus tells the story of a master going away on a journey. And before he leaves, he entrusts three servants with unique gifts, each one unique to their own abilities. And two of those servants went out and multiplied what had been given to them. And as a result, whenever the master returns, he calls them faithful. I don't want you to miss this point. The master says, you have been faithful. Now, you can look at it any way you like, and you can read it in any translation that you want to. But that word that is attributed to their multiplication is faithful. Jesus directly credits faithfulness with multiplication. Now the third servant buried his talents and the master called him lazy, and that's not good. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be called lazy. And I don't have a lot of time to go into what his punishment was, but we'll just say that no true follower of Jesus ever wants to be called lazy. And I'm I'm pretty sure none of us do. When my time is up, I hope to hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Grace Church, we have one shot at this life to give it everything we have. And God has given each one of his children unique gifts to build his kingdom. But it is totally up to us what we choose to do with them. We can neglect them like the lazy servant, use them for selfish gain, or use them as our master intends to bless others and build his kingdom. Folks, if we want to finish well, listen to me, if we want to finish well and hear well done, good and faithful servant, we have to resist choosing comfort over calling. Because the scripture is plain. A faithful servant multiplies what he or she has been gifted. And if you want to be counted faithful, it means that you will take your unique God-given gifts, whatever they may be, and multiply them for the benefit of others. That's the word of the Lord for you tonight. So just a little thought from Matthew chapter 25. I hope it gets your brain thinking. I'm glad that I have a pastor, and I'm glad that he teaches me the word, and I'm looking forward to hearing what God has given him tonight. God bless you.
1: great to see everybody here tonight and uh i've told a couple of people it feels like it's been about a month since i've been here um and i'm thankful to be here tonight thankful to be back with all of you and uh certainly thankful for the hand of god on our lives and uh i want to appreciate all of you for being here tonight and uh thank you for coming out and uh how many have welcomed the Christmas season with open arms and an open mind here tonight? Three people? Four people? There you go. All right, it's looking better. Looking better. It's getting discouraged there for a minute. But I uh, hope you have a, a great Christmas season. It was a wonderful Thanksgiving. hope all of you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, it was certainly wonderful. Um, for the Murphy family, we had a great time. And our great food, great fellowship, uh, some relaxation. And we had some encounters with some bears. Uh, but that's a, another story for another time. Everybody that goes to Gatlinburg wishes to see a bear. But the minute you see one on your front doorstep, that wish is over. <laughs> you're glad you saw it and you hope it doesn't come back. And every time you go outside, you're looking over your shoulder. Trust me. Uh, we were in Gatlinburg for Thanksgiving for five days and four of those days we had a bear encounter, four out of five days. So it makes you just a little nervous to stray too far from a very open front door. And at my age and at the speed I travel on my feet, <clears throat> I can't stray too far from the front door. Uh, that is that. But I uh, hope you had a great holiday and uh, it's great to be here tonight with you all. and. Uh, I want to thank Brother Jason for an excellent presentation here tonight and an excellent segue uh, into what I want to present to you here tonight. We'll ask you to remember the service Sunday. Uh, Come out Sunday expecting some great things to happen. Uh, Be prayed up and uh, just come with your heart open, ready to worship, ready to let the Lord have his way. What do you say? Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. I want to read tonight from Hebrews chapter 3 beginning with verse 12, and I'd like for you to listen uh, very carefully. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn and your Bibles, uh, follow along on the screen. But the writer said to take heed, take heed. These are not words in passing. These are not shallow words. These aren't words to fill in spaces. These are words to pay attention to to give focus to so take heed brethren lest there be any of you an evil heart lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living god but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Are y'all getting this? I know you, you, you're probably just reading it, hearing it for the first time in maybe a while. For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end, If you stay right with God, all of your life is what it's saying, is what the scripture's asking us to do. This thought, this, this presentation, the, the principle of it has been on my mind now for several months. And uh, some of you have already acted out, you've already manifest, if you will, what I want to talk to you about. Uh, by Some have opened their homes uh, have invited folks over for fellowship, and uh, I'm very thankful for that. And the, the couple that I've been to has been rich, it's been rewarding, it's been inspirational, especially in what we've experienced this year. I want to teach for a little while tonight, just simply, we need each other. We need each other. I'd like to begin with the definition of Christian fellowship in the New Testament the Greek word for fellowship signifies having a share in something or sharing with someone in something or you could say participation in something or with someone for example in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 16 the Bible said the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? In other words, when we drink the cup and, and eat the bread, we share in the benefits of the slain body and the shed blood of Jesus. We have a share in what his death has achieved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, the Bible said, praying with us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. You can see by this Bible pattern early on that we're not meant to be separated and apart. Uh, we're not meant to live our own lives Uh, selfishly to ourselves one translation of 2nd Corinthians 8 4 says they begged us earnestly for the grace and the sharing and participation in the ministry of the saints in other words they wanted to have a share in sending relief to those who were poor in jerusalem And then Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, a verse that we're all familiar with, he said that I may know him, speaking of Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. One translation said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship or sharing of his sufferings. In other words, Paul wanted to have a share in the sufferings of Christ to participate with him in suffering for the gospel. So when when we talk about Christian fellowship, that is fellowship or sharing or participation that is unique to our relationship with other believers, What we are referring to is the shared union, the shared participation that we have together, not with just one another, but with Christ. Somebody said fellowship is a mutual bond that Christians have with Christ that puts us in a deep, eternal relationship with one another. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, that God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which means both, number one, sharing vertically in the union that each of us has with Christ, but then, number two, sharing together with other believers the common union that we have with Christ And with each other. So when I talk about Christian fellowship as a means of perseverance. When I talk about Christian fellowship as a means of perseverance. Persevering. Making it. Living it. Successfully. Moving forward. The fellowship I have in mind is the mutual bond that Christians have with Christ that unites all of us in a profound and eternal relationship of love that should express itself in joyful and affectionate service to and for each other's good. I know all of that's a little bit wordy, but I hope you're getting on a wavelength with me tonight. That expression of love, that demonstration of Christian fellowship may be in times of affliction. In some parts of our world it has been literal times of martyrdom where people have died for the cause of Christ and together they go through that tragedy because of that bond or union of fellowship they have not only between each other, but also with Christ. I'm not talking about just showing up at somebody's house and playing a game and whatever. What we have in common and what we share is of great strength. It's of great value. It's of great purpose being fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and everybody said amen. You could also say this demonstration of Christian fellowship can be as cheerful as a smiling word to your best friend saying that you will survive these challenging times and you'll live to see another day. Or it could be as shallow, if you will, or as lighthearted as a word to your friend during a time of amusement. This, too, is Christian fellowship as a means... Of helping all of us persevere to make it, to stay strong in our faith, to stay strong in our commitment, to stay strong in faithfulness. It's helping one another and sharing that commonality of relationship with God. So whether you are, we are together facing affliction or martyrdom or a challenging time. Or even losing your favorite game to your best friend. Christian fellowship is aware of a profound, eternal relationship of love. It's literally governed by Paul's exhortation in Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-nine, when he said, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace. Unto the hearers. That's how the Bible values. Our fellowship. One translation said. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up. As it fits the occasion. Whether martyrdom or ping pong. That it may give grace. To those who hear. Making it. To the end in faith shows that we were real. We had indeed come to share in Christ. So the grace that we're talking about that Paul referred to is the grace of perseverance. And what we have seen of the grace of perseverance in this presentation is that perseverance is necessary for final salvation. Jesus said the one who endures to the end shall be saved. And the perseverance is promised for all those who are born of God. It's encouraging to me when I read that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And that perseverance is accomplished through many different means. One of which is Christian fellowship. The most important passage in the Bible to make this point that Christian fellowship, not isolation, but Christian fellowship is a means of perseverance and faith. So I want to spend a few minutes tonight at the at the level of, of, of presentation tonight that has to do with logical relationships and then deal with what I call the reality factor. And then we'll end with some examples of how all of this works. So with that presentation in mind, with that introduction in mind, let me read to you again my text. Take heed, brethren. Take heed. Lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. I come tonight with a degree of alarm with a degree of concern, I've noticed, I've heard other pastors say it. It's been trending this year that what we thought were just great, solid church people have all of a sudden embraced things that have come to the surface this year and have, have moved away, have departed from their relationship with God. Somebody just recently uh told me of several people, uh, younger people, that were committed, as I like to say it, committed to the teeth, faithful, uh, church-going, God-loving, God-worshiping, God-serving people, that all of a sudden, something, a switch flips in their head. And all of a sudden, God becomes something that's in their rearview mirror now. And to some, He doesn't even exist anymore. We have an obligation through scripture tonight that if there's any, anybody among us with an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, the Bible instructs us to exhort one another daily. This is totally against what our media is telling us to do. This is totally against what our political structure and social movements and what have you are forbidding us to do. But we still have to stand in alignment, in true alignment with the Word of God. The Bible said to exhort one another, to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to do it on a daily basis. One translation said, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil in any of you, an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long it is called, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. To me, I, I, I'd like to ask the question. I'd like to pose the question. What good does it do to be born again if you don't intend to go all the way with it? What have you accomplished when you repent and you've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost if you, if you fall away at some point, if you decide, I'm not going to do this God thing, church thing, kingdom thing ever again What good has it done you to go just a short distance or just part of the way? God intends for those to whom he gives the new birth to is to maintain that relationship all the way to the end, but not just you, but to help someone else. It is faithfulness and multiplication. It's sharing your faith. It's multiplying your faith and your confidence. It's multiplying encouragement and inspiration in the life of someone else. Have we done that lately? So I want you to notice verse 14. This is the ground or the reason for the two imperatives that's given in verses 12 and 13. He said, take care and exhort one another in 12 and 13. We are our brother's keeper. The reason for this verse, verse 14. And the tenses are very important. Take care exhort each other because we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It does not say if we hold our confidence firm, we will have a share in Christ. It says if we hold our confidence firm to the end, then we have shared in Christ. That's when you hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant. This means that perseverance to the end in faith is a necessary confirmation that we have been born again. Making it to the end in faith shows that we were real, that we had indeed come to share in Christ. Listen to Pastor tonight. All sin, I hope there's folks watching on live stream tonight. And to everyone that's present on campus. All sin is a lie. Because nothing is more preferable than God. Therefore, all sin which consists in preferring anything to God is only lying to us. So that's the ground of these two imperatives in verses 12 and 13. Take care and to exhort one another every day. Why? Because you know that if your brother, and that's what he is referred to in verse 12, if your brother does not hold on to his confidence to the end, he will prove himself to have never shared in Christ. He will be lost whether he is called brother or not. And from that logic or understanding between verse twelve and uh, verse 13 and 14, you infer rightly, my, exu- my exhortation is one of God's means for keeping my brother or my sister holding fast to Christ and thus saving him. From destruction have we done that lately we need each other we need each other let me introduce according to these verses five realities I'll talk about the reality factor in a moment but these five realities that cause catastrophe in people's lives and I, I think it's important Grace Church that we start looking around and if you see somebody slipping to reach out to them A hand of fellowship, a hand of encouragement, a hand of inspiration. That inference from the logical connection between the imperative of verse 13 and the truth of verse 14 is confirmed by the way the writer explains the dynamics of falling away from God. And this is the reality factor. Look at the words of verse 12 and 13. Verse 12, don't let there be any, don't let there be an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. There's people in my mind right now that's, through all of the stuff we've had going on and experienced this year, they're questioning. It's setting your sails in the wrong direction, it's not going to lead to a good place. But then look at the description of that process in verse 13. Don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have five, at least five huge realities about to create a catastrophe. In verse verse 13, he mentioned hardness. In verse 13, he mentioned sin. In verse 13, he mentioned sin's deceitfulness. In verse 12, he mentioned a heart marked by evil. In verse 12, he mentioned unbelief. These things only equal tragedy and heartbreak. And when these things begin to happen, hardness and then sin and then the deceitfulness of sin and a heart marked by evil and then by unbelief, I've just quit believing in God altogether. When you have the end of this process, you have a person that has completely lost their way. And who knows if they would ever come back to God or not? How many backsliders have you known that have come back to God compared to the ones that haven't? The logic of the clauses, what we are what we see arcing here, does not tell us how these five realities relate to each other. We have to think our way into the realities themselves and and what we know about them from the rest of Hebrews and the New Testament and our experience and then work them out, it's it's the reality factor. Here's my suggestion for how these five realities actually work to bring about the catastrophe warned against here and and that Christian fellowship is designed by God to to prevent. This is why people need fellowship. I noticed, I've i noticed it for years, and I've noticed it particularly this year, when people begin to isolate themselves, or they're not included. Either way, the product is the same. The byproduct is the same. We have to be careful about cliques and, and just certain groups and just hang out with our friends. If you see somebody falling away, the writer, writer instructed that we need to exhort them. So Christian fellowship is designed by God to prevent the fact that sin can be spoken of subjectively as something that we feel or do or objectively as something we are drawn to feel or do. In either case, sin in essence is a preference for anything over God. So all sin, whether alluring us or being experienced by us, whether you're being tempted to sin or you're already sinning. It doesn't matter in this point. It is deceitful. It's deceiving you. It's trying to communicate to you that what that is, whatever that sin is, is preferable. I would rather do that than to engage in a healthy relationship with God. That's what the writer saying. It's a reality that we need to understand. All sin. Everybody say all sin. All sin is a lie because nothing is more preferable than God. Therefore, all sin, which consists in preferring anything to God, is lying to us. We are God's appointed means to keep our brother or sister from falling into sin. If you know somebody that's being tempted, if you know somebody that's fallen into temptation... If you know of somebody that is losing their way, don't just stand by and watch it and talk about it to your other friends, but reach out to that person. Go after that person. I'm not asking you to do something that I've not done myself. It's not comfortable. It takes us out of our comfort zone, and sometimes we feel like we're a little speechless. And I've actually been guilty of saying myself that, well... Every person that's ever backslidden, they know what they need to do. But the Bible don't really give a lot of of credit or credence to that principle. God expects fellow brothers and fellow sisters to go after that person who's losing their way. Have we done that lately? When that deceit insinuates itself into the human heart. One description of the effect is hardness. When people are deceived by sin, then they become hard. And that's where they're hard to talk to. That's where they're hard to communicate with. It's hard to get them to understand. It's hard to get them to understand rapture and tribulation. It's hard to get them to understand eternity. They're hardened. And that's why the Bible gives us the instruction to exhort them When we begin to see that pattern, we act on these things before they happen. Not wait until they've already happened. Hardness implies not easily touched or not easily penetrated with truth or beauty or preciousness. is what hardness means. And this hardening heart is called in verse 12 an evil heart of unbelief unbelief therefore is another way of describing what happens as truth and beauty and worth of Christ become less and less desirable unbelief is another way unbelief is another way of describing what happens as truth and beauty and worth of Christ become less and less desirable even less and less welcome less able to touch and penetrate the hardening heart. Because faith in its essence is not mere assent to truth about Christ, but a heartfelt embrace of all the beauty and value that God is for us. As the heart is deceived by the lie of sin, that anything is more desirable than God, it hardens. And the superior beauty and worth of Christ is no longer felt. And this is called unbelief. And the last thing to say about it, the last thing the Bible says about that is that it is evil. It is an evil heart of unbelief because it is in the grip of sin's delusion that other things are more desirable than God that is the essence of evil and the reason we dig into the reality of of what really happens in the heart that is falling away from the living God is so that we know what our job is in Christian fellowship I want everybody to hear me tonight please hear me tonight I keep asking you have we done that lately when was the last time you called or texted, even texted, a discouraged child of God? We all realize how hard this year's been, right? It's been hard on everybody. How many people have we reached out to? I don't want to sound like a hero, and I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I've had some moments of just sheer and bitter discouragement. There are several close to me that know that because I've communicated it. But even in the middle of those times, I've picked up my phone and still texted somebody and said, Hey, thinking about you today, I hope everything is well. I hope everything is good going on in your." So even when I'm at a low point, we can't wrap ourselves up in our own coverings of discouragement and despair. As a matter of fact, one way to feel better, one great way to feel better is when you feel horrible, and you reach out to someone else, and you help them, you encourage them. I want to say again to those of you, and you're here tonight, most of you, if not all of you are here tonight, that's opened your home recently to just good fellowship. No debating, no gossiping, no conflict. Just a lot of laughter. sitting out by a fire, sitting in a living room with a cup of coffee or a cold drink, and just feeling that camaraderie, just feeling the value of our brotherhood and sisterhood with each other. I dare say tonight that to some degree, oftentimes, I feel closer to church people than I do my own family. Some of you feel the same way because we understand it's not that I'm just hanging out with so-and-so and so-and-so and -and and -and so-and-so, but in the middle of that, is the most powerful force in the universe and His name is Jesus. And we we are made partakers of His grace and His blessing because of His death. And we have a strength, we have a camaraderie, we have a chemistry like no other group, like no other organization, like no other support group. It doesn't matter what they are. There's nothing stronger than the church because we're all interwoven into the blood of Christ, into the power of Christ. We've all experienced grace and mercy. We've all been partakers of His blood. We've all been forgiven. And so when we're together, when we're together, that's the cement, if you will. And I, I think, and based on my experience through the years, that as long as people stay in good, solid fellowship with fellow believers, it's hard for this hardening of the heart and this unbelief thing to happen. It's when people get isolated. And folks, we have church people here at Grace Church has virtually been in quarantine this entire year. They need some fellowship. They need some encouragement. Now, if they don't do it, I don't know what to say. But I don't think you can get through get COVID through a text message or a phone call. Maybe you should wear a mask if you're texting or making a phone call. I don't know. I don't mean to be facetious, but you get the point. But whatever it takes, we need to make sure that our fellow brothers and sisters is going to persevere through all of this. So the reason we dig into the reality of what happens to the heart that's falling away from the living God so we understand our job is in Christian fellowship. Our job is to help each other, to help each other to keep this catastrophe from happening, exhort one another every day while there is still a day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're God's appointed means. That is one of the greatest callings on your life as a Christian. That is something that all of us can do. Surely all of us could do that. To me, it's almost a minimum, but I don't want to minimize it because its value is immeasurable. Christian friendships exist for this, to say things that will help keep each other believing. Small groups exist for this. To say things that will keep each other believing. Christian counseling exists for this. To say things that will keep each other believing. Church planning teams all over the world exist for this to say things that will help keep each other believing. Christian marriages, Christian parenting exists for this. To say things that will keep each other believing. So it is clear, is it not, that if the essence of deceit that leads to sin and hardness and unbelief and falling away and eternal destruction, if the essence of that deceit is making anything look preferable to God, look more desirable to God, more valuable than all that God is for us through Christ, if that is what leads to destruction, then what will be the essence of these exhortations? Will it not be, first of all, that God is better? His way is better. And a thousand biblical and experiential descriptions of why His word, His way, His future, His greatness, His guidance, His value, His beauty, His friendship, it's all better. The pleasures of even the reproaches of Christ. Think about that. Moses said, I'd rather suffer or allow myself to be a reproach than to enjoy sin for a season. Even the worst of God, if you will, is still better than the best of sin. I preached a sermon one time, the worst of Bethel, the worst of the house of God is still better than all Egypt has to offer. Every exchange with others counts for eternity. We are either weakening people's affection for God or strengthening them. And second, will these exhortations not also be the flip side for he is better, his treasures are greater, namely the pleasures of Egypt are fleeting. Don't throw him away. Don't shrink back. Don't commit spiritual suicide. Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but of them who believe to the saving of the soul. Folks, we have to make it. We've got to persevere no matter what it takes. We've got to persevere with all of our might. But not just you and I, but the person sitting next to you. We all have to make it. And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. You say to your brother, if you shrink back, if your heart is deceived and hard and unbelieving, you will be destroyed. That too is part of what Christian fellowship says to a straying friend. I read recently of someone sharing the following. He said as a minister, he said, I have a letter here dated August the 24th, 1992. From a young woman who grew up as a missionary kid, an M.K. as they're called, a missionary kid, and was going to Bethlehem in the mid-80s. She had come in to see me in 1985 and was living in sexual immorality. After a while, it seemed right that she needed to hear a serious warning of destruction. So here's what she wrote to me seven years later after that warning. I wonder whether you remember a very much younger me sitting in your office and telling you I was afraid God would have to use a car accident or some other awful event to get my attention. You pointed out that the consequences of my deliberate choice to continue sinning would be nothing short of hell itself. No one had ever told me that as I was headed, that I was headed for hell, missionary kid, that I was. Saved at the age of six. It was a turning point in my life, she said. And I have wanted to thank you for that ever since. I assured mom that a warning such as that 1985 conversation made me feel all the more loved. After I heard what you really think of hell, that you cared enough to tell me, a stranger at the time, means more than you, more than ever, With the echo in my ears, your compassion certainly came through to me. Sometimes the exhortation is, he is better. He is infinitely better. Other times or at the same time, the exhortation is, if you leave him, she said, you will be destroyed. Exhorting your brother. Have we done that lately? Someone else said, I recall one, uh, one other time in the 80s when myself and another minister were trying to help a young woman through a terrible season of depression. She was repeatedly suicidal. So we had a pact with her that she would call us before she hurt herself, and she agreed. One night she called. We made her promise to meet us uh, to meet us at the church in the middle of the night. The two ministers came together. We exhorted her with countless scriptures. We sat in quiet. We prayed. We waited. The spiritual darkness on her was almost as palpable as if she had been a it had been a huge dark blanket, causing her whole body to sag under the weight. After several hours, it lifted. That woman is a fruitful and faithful minister in the church today. She persevered. And I don't doubt that our exhortations that night by the power of the Holy Ghost saved her. I'll have you know tonight, I take this seriously, our ministry team takes this seriously, that every sermon, every conversation is a means of final salvation. There are no meaningless moments. course 90% of the interchanges between Christians are not in crises but every one of them counts for eternity we're either weakening people's affections for God or strengthening them we're either building up toward heaven or tearing down toward hell again Paul said let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers what grace what grace is he talking about? Could it be the grace of perseverance? Every sermon, every conversation is a means of final salvation. There are no meaningless moments. Life is awesomely meaningful at every moment. Let me leave you with one more picture tonight, if you will. In First Samuel 23... We're all familiar with the life, familiar with the life of King David. But in 1 Samuel 23, David's life is hanging in the balance. The Lord shows him that the people in the town of Keilah are going to hand him over to Saul, so David must flee. Later in the chapter, the Ziphites betray David and tell Saul where he is, and Saul comes after him. He escapes by the skin of his teeth, if you will. I can we read these stories but but it's it's hard to put yourself in that place this man that's chasing you has all of the advantage of a whole nation a whole army you have no one I thought about what it must have been like to have been Daniel being lowered down into that den of lions I don't know how much words of comfort would have helped at that moment but Maybe it would have done something. Maybe the three Hebrew boys about to be thrown into that furnace. There was no one there. We could go from one end of the Bible to the other about men and women who persevered without any fellowship. But it sure makes it a whole lot better when we do have it. Can't imagine the pressure that David felt, the stress, the tension, the discouragement. Is it even worth it to even be God's anointed? Between those two events, the betrayal of Keilah and the treachery of the Ziphites, God gives us a glimpse of how David persevered through that. In 1 Samuel 23 and verse 16, and Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand and God. Camaraderie of Christian brotherhood. He is better. He's enough. Don't leave him. Be strong. God has you in His hand. If you're a Christian, you're united to Christ in a mutual bond with all other Christians. You are therefore a in a profound, eternal relationship of love with all believers. Your calling therefore is to be a Jonathan and all the relationships that you have. So do this for each other. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I want to conclude tonight with an idea, and it won't take but a minute or two to give it. I think there's some of us, I think there's enough of us, I'm going to be meeting with Brother Dave Bunch Friday, we're going to talk about this, he don't know it yet but we are. One of those kind of meetings, right? I texted him and said we need to meet and it's important, he'll understand. But I'm going to ask some of you, if not all of you, to step outside Either your fear or your comfort zone, one or the other, whichever one it is. And some of you already have. You've, you've beat me to the punch. You've already done it. But would you invite three or four people to your house if you're comfortable in doing that? Or meet them at a restaurant? But this is what I'd like you to do. Maybe if you're a couple, maybe you could take a couple that you're good friends with with you. And then to ask another couple to join you that perhaps you're not that great of friends. Maybe they just need some exhortation. Maybe they need some encouragement. Could you do that? Is it too hard? Um, I think most restaurants are still open and pretty functional. I think we all know that. I'm not asking you to do anything you're not comfortable with. you're not comfortable with it, I understand, under all the circumstances. But if you can Just put yourself out there a little bit. Look around, and if you know somebody that seems to be a little bit discouraged, maybe you can invite them out to lunch or go have a cup of coffee somewhere. Do something. But to exhort one another, to encourage one another. We all need it right now. We all need it right now. Why? Because we truly need each other. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. If you would take heed, take heed, as the scripture said, and help us with these things that would make Grace Church even the more greater, make it more effective, it would be a wonderful thing to do. Thank the Lord. God bless you. We we'll look forward to seeing you Sunday morning. Greet one another if you can. If you feel comfortable too, smile at somebody, encourage somebody here tonight before you go. God bless you. You're dismissed, and we'll see you Sunday morning.